Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. Well, welcome this morning. We do hope you stay up for the hangout. You can turn to the book of James chapter 2. We're going to be in that portion of scripture. So we're in the second chapter of James and we are going to be talking about this book. But, but a few reminders in case you're just jumping in with us this week and you haven't been around for the other weeks. Um, James was Jesus' brother. So he grew up with Jesus. So he had a different, a different experience than a lot of people had. You know, some people, the, the people that follow Jesus, some of the disciples live with him for three years. And you can learn a lot about somebody if you live with them for three years. You're going to know their ins and their outs and everything about them. But James lived longer with Christ. Now, not that whole time did he believe in Jesus. Because if you read the Gospels, it seems like he came to faith after Jesus died and rose again. But that doesn't mean he didn't know him. He knew how he lived. He knew how he loved. He knew how he treated people. And whenever you read a book in the Bible, you should know who wrote it. That makes a difference when you're trying to understand it. So this is somebody that spent a lot of time with Christ. And the things that he talks about, I got to imagine, are birthed out of that time he spent with the Son of God here on this earth. Um, and then it was written to people in the diaspora, people that were scattered. There was a great persecution we read about in the book of Acts. And, and all the believers, they were scattered to the winds. And I want to just for a second, let's just do a little mental thing and think about how it would be if all of us in this room were scattered because of our faith in Christ. We couldn't live in this town anymore, and, and we're running to different parts of the world, and we're rebuilding our lives, we're having to get new jobs, our, our homes are gone, and some of us might have left with some extra cash or coins back then, and, and some of us might have just left with faith. And just trusting that, you know, when we get there, God will provide because we're following him. And so James writes, and in the first chapter, he talks about a few things. He talks um, about trials, right? If you're starting over in the first chapter of James and, and you're starting in a new place, it's going to be a trial. You're, you're moving. You're getting a new job. You're getting new friends. Your family is, is not around. It's tough. Some of you have done that. Some of you have moved to Lexington and, and experienced that same thing, or you've moved to other areas, and, and you know that hard it, how hard it is. And then he talks about wisdom, because if you're in a trial, you need wisdom. And he gives this promise that I want you to remember. He said, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask God, and he'll give generously. So if you want to be as smart as Caleb, just ask God. Be like, God, I could use some of that. Give me some wisdom, and he'll, he'll give generously. Then he talks about temptation. This is all the first chapter. He says temptation. He said, don't be surprised. Temptation doesn't come from the world. Temptation doesn't come from the enemy. Temptation comes from right here. It comes from our own desires that we try to meet in ungodly ways. And so to be careful and to watch our hearts. And then he gives this, this little thing at the end, and he's going to talk more about it in chapter 2, about, about hearing and doing. All right? And, and that's, a big, that's a big mind shift for a lot of people. 
that Christ actually expects us to do those two things. To hear and then to do. To be about some work. Um, now that, that has caused a lot of controversy for people that have read Paul and people that have read James. Because Paul talks about faith and the importance of faith. And, and James doesn't put that down. Where I like to say Paul talks about the the root of salvation. That salvation is a gift and it comes through faith that is not of our own. And James talks about the fruit of salvation. Good morning, baby. All right, go with your mama. It's Mother's Day. All right. And James talks about the, the fruit of salvation. So let's go into chapter 2. And these are kind of the three big topics that I, that I see in chapter 2. There's a lot in the chapter, but we're going to read the chapter. But I think you're going to pick up these three things. Is, is treat everyone the same. And that's a big lesson. Treat everyone well. And then have a living faith. So I'm going to read the whole chapter of scripture, chapter 2. And then we're going to talk about it together. And it's okay to read the Bible. All right, you'd rather hear that than me, I hope. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, stand there, or sit by my feet, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So let's stop there for a second. He's starting, like, and, and you've got to realize, who's writing it? James, Jesus' brother. Who's he writing it to? These people scattered all over the city, all over the country, the world, actually, the Roman Empire in different parts, even outside of the Roman Empire, all the way into Asia and into India. These people got scattered pretty early. I mean, it was, it was the gospel was moving fast. And then I want to put yourself in a mindset, because this is what I think was happening. Picture we're having a meeting, right? And we're in a new area, and there's probably a small group of believers. Maybe just you and a few of your close family members and a close friend, you've moved there. And you're having this meeting where you're saying, you know what, this is, this is where we celebrate Christ. And you're praying, and you're praying for new jobs, and you're praying, you know, you're helping each other get established in homes, and, and all this new stuff is happening. And then all of a sudden, people start hearing about your little group, and people start wanting to know what's going on and they come to, to check you out. And you're restarting your life. And so somebody who's wealthy comes in. They've got the rings, they've got the Roman, you know, maybe some Roman position in the government. And, you know, they got, you can hear the jingle. And you're thinking, man, maybe he could help me out. Maybe he could give me a job. You know, I, I, could, I could work on his house or I could help take care of his crops or maybe... 
hey, come here. I got you. And then somebody else comes in and they're poor and they're shabby clothing and it'd be really easy to be like, well, you know, hey, we're all poor. You can sit at my feet. How demeaning is that? Like, I'm going to tell you something. If, if another man in here invites me to sit at your feet, there's going to be a fleshly thing rise up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't want to sit at your feet. Like, it's just something about that. Like, it's just kind of a little awkward. It's a little bit weird. And, and so what James is saying, and he says it, and that's one of the verses I want you to see. It's that first verse that says, show no partiality. Partiality is not something found in God. Romans and Ephesians talks about that, that God is no respecter of person. There's no partiality with him. All that means is you're preferring someone above somebody else. And in Christ, in his kingdom, God prefers all of us. He preferred to save us. He preferred to give us all the same gift. And we all come in as, as sinners needing grace, as, as people who are poor in spirit needing God's spirit within us. We all have our own junk. We could sit here and list all of the own stuff, stuff we've done wrong, stuff that's been done wrong to us. Like, we're all a mess without God. And, and, and he's telling us, he's saying, show no partiality. Treat people equally. Now he gives the example of rich and poor, but there's other examples we can go to. Maybe it's young and old. Maybe you have something against young people. You think they're dumb. My kids played me a song yesterday, and I think the chorus, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was like, young, dumb, broke teenagers. And I was like, y'all are like jamming out to this song? I mean, it's true, <laughs> but like in my day, like we would play something like that was a little happier, not just being like, hey, you're a bunch of young, dumb, broke people. But it's this idea, maybe you don't, maybe you don't value young people. Maybe you don't value people with age. Maybe you don't see the wisdom. Maybe you see, see me hobbling around and limping, and you're like, oh, well, that guy doesn't know nothing. Maybe you see the gray coming out. And you're like, ah, oh, he's over 40, he's a fool. When I said gray, I saw a few people go like this. They're like, ah. Oh. But it's this idea, maybe it's race. Maybe you're more comfortable with your race than another race. Right? I'm just saying, the gospel calls us to treat all people the same. And so what I'm going to, what I believe that this is saying, you know, when he talks about giving the rich person the chair and the poor person the floor give everybody the chair like not the electric chair but you know like that sounded bad but like the good seat in 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 the church like the comfortable chair the good chair in the house give everybody that respect and 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 that's that's the heart of the gospel that God loves all of us. He doesn't look at our bank account. He doesn't look at our skin color. He doesn't look at our age. God loves us. And, and in this church, like, man, I hope that's us. I hope we're people, or, or maybe, maybe yours is like the people I know I'm cool with, but if I don't know you, then I'm, 
kind of scooting away. I'm afraid to say hi. Like, maybe that's the partiality. Like, maybe you could be as happy to see the person that walked in on the, for their first Sunday as you are for that person that you talk to every Sunday. Like, I, I hope, I hope we treat everyone well. And, you know, I always say, like, you know, we have a, a role or a, or a little job. We say, like, we have little jobs in church, like set up or kids ministry or worship team. We also have, like, a greeter. Somebody that is their job to say, like, hi. I think that's important. But shouldn't that be all of our jobs? You see somebody coming in and maybe they're trying to move a chair to get with their family. And shouldn't we all, like, welcome? I mean, not overwhelm people and get, like, all up in their business and make them, like, where every single one of us is welcoming them. If you've come here more than a few times, it's your job, too. Welcome people. Give them the good seat. Don't put yourself last. Do you, do you know what would happen in the church if we're all putting ourselves last? We're going to honor each other. We're going to be lifting each other up. Verse 8. Let's go on a little more. This is another verse I, I want to talk about. It says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. See, it's not just treat everybody the same, it's treat everybody well. Look at a person and say, like, what would, what would I want if I was that person? Well, when I walk into a new place, I want to be talked to, but not too much. I want to get to know you, but like, slowly, you know. What's your darkest secret? It's like, whoa, 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 we're not there yet. But I do want somebody to know me. I do want somebody to take the time to develop that relationship where we can talk about stuff and know me and I can say, hey, pray about this. This is what's going on in my life. But, but it's, it's a royal law. I heard a... Um, an author that I like, his name is Len Sweet. He, he writes a lot about Jesus. But he wrote a comment, and I just thought it was so good, and I'm going to use it a lot. He said, in the church, it should be that anyone can come. Anyone can come. But not everything goes. That's good. Anyone can come, but not anything goes. And it's the idea that anyone is welcome, and we make them feel welcome, but that this is our our yardstick. This is our measuring stick. This is our rule book and our life book. And, and we try to do this stuff. So if you fulfill the royal law, in God's kingdom, the law is that we should love our neighbor as yourself. And I love this word neighbor because it really makes this so simple. Sometimes we hear this and we say, love our neighbor as ourself. And we, we start to ask questions like, who's our neighbor? And love the one nearby. Whoever you're nearby at any moment, love them like you love yourself. That means in your house, love the people in your house like you love yourself. At your work, in your church, even in Walmart where it's really hard to love people. <laughs> like even in there when you're, no, it's hard. Anybody else just get angry when you, there's some, no offense to Walmart, but sometimes we just get like, 
angry. Or maybe it's just traffic. Or maybe it's just public. Maybe we're just angry people. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. But it's this idea that we get around people. And you know, like I use Walmart or Publix, these different stores as an example, because you go there for a thing. You need something, right? Like at least me, I don't show up at a store unless I need something. And when you're about around a whole bunch of people who need something, we're all missing and we're all like missing something and trying to get it. And we're hard to love at that point. But it's our job to love our neighbor, those who are nearby. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9, he says, but if you show partiality, if you don't treat people the same, look at, look at what he says in verse 9. You are committing sin. If you're treating people, some people worse than others, you're committing sin. And you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. But if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. What he's saying, like, is treating people different. Even the sin of giving one person the chair and telling another person to sit at your feet, even that is on the same level as a cheater or a murderer. And we don't think about it that way. We think, well, that's not near as bad. But that's how God thinks. Treat people well or we're breaking God's law. In verse 12, he says, So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. There's this law of liberty, this law of grace. For judgment is without mercy, verse 13, to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. That last part of that verse, mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want mercy in your life, be a merciful person. Be someone who gives people mercy, some people who shows grace. And that doesn't mean that they deserve it. Because no one who receives mercy deserves mercy. You can only get mercy when you deserve something else. Judgment. So you can only show people mercy who have done you wrong. But we need to be a forgiving people. All right, verse 14, let's keep going. What good is it then, my brothers? And this is going to get into some good stuff right here. It's going to mess you up a little bit. But remember, I didn't write this. It says James on the top. All right, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says... Go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Remember, Paul talks about the roots of our salvation is faith. James is talking about the fruit. Our faith should change us. If our faith is only in here, it's not real. Our faith should cause us to treat people well. Here he's giving a great example. He says, if, and, and, and some of us do this, but if somebody comes in hungry and you say, you know what, I'm just going to pray for you. God, fill that belly. 
and send them on their way, you've missed out. If you can ever feed someone who's hungry, that's a good thing. But then it talks about clothes. And in our society, we don't really, like, it's hard to relate to that. But this was a time in life where you might have only had one change of clothes, unless you were rich. And then you might have a few if you're, you know, there, if you're there. But the idea of not having clothes, not having the necessities, not being able to stay warm or stay dry or to have dignity, I'm going to say there is something, I'm not saying you have to have the most expensive clothes, but there's something about being clean that just makes you feel better. There's something about having what you need so you can walk into a place and be your best. I'm not saying that you got to have the $5,000 thing, but, but at least a shirt that fits, doesn't have holes, doesn't have stains. And if we can meet those needs, we should. Verse 18, let's keep going. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. But even the demons believe that. And they shudder every time they think about it. You don't want... Um, do you want to be showing you foolish person that faith apart works apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of of God. This idea of having an active faith. What does it mean to believe God? If you believe him, something normally changes about what you do. I did not come to Christ in a church. I was at home praying with my mom. Thank you, mom. But when I got up, I literally had this thought. I was like, well, if I believe this stuff now, because I went from being like an atheist, someone who didn't believe in God, and to, to finally saying, you know what, I need God, my life's out of control. And I was like, well, if I believe this, I should go to church. Then, really, that was the question that really rang in my head. If I believe this, then I got to tell my friends. If I believe this, then I should read this figure out what the heck I say I believe. Like, if, if I believe this, then what? That's a good question to ask. That's a good thing to judge your behavior on. Like, if I believe this, how should I treat my wife? If I believe this, how should I parent my kids? If I believe this, what kind of employee should I be? If I believe this, how do I tell others? Man, I know food is coming here. We've got about two more minutes and then we're going to eat. But that even, like when I just sat in church, I've been in the ministry now for 22 years. But when I just sat in church as a young teenager, like 17, if I believe people coming and hearing the word of God is important, then I had this thought, I want to make them feel welcome when they get here. So when people showed up, 
I would be one of the first people to go and say hi. And that's how I met my wife. Woo! All right. That was awesome. And then I said, well, if I really believe that hearing the gospel and hearing the word is important, then I just started picking people up for church. I'd ask other kids, hey, you want to come to church? I ain't got a ride. I got you. Now that wound up getting a little out of control. I took a lot of people to church because when you're a free ride, people will do that. But I could tell you something. Mike was there. Jonathan was there. And it wouldn't be uncommon for like an hour, an hour and a half, each of us to drive around our three cars to fill up the church with youth. Nobody told us to. Nobody paid for our gas. It was just like, we're like, this is something we believe and we want people there to hear. Faith without works is dead. Your works can't save you. But when you're saved, some things in your life change. I'm going to finish up this chapter, verse 24. You see, the person was not justified by works, but by faith alone justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. He gives two Old Testament examples, one from Abraham, one from a lady named Rahab. Go read those stories. I'm not going to talk about all of them now, but they're basically people who heard God's word, believed it, and did something. Anytime you believe it, you're going to do something. Would you bow your heads? We talked a lot of, about a lot of different things today. We talked about not showing partiality, about treating everyone the same. We talked about treating people well. Don't treat everybody the same and treat them poorly. Treat them well. And we talked about having a faith that works, a faith that's alive, a faith that changes our behavior. I'm not trying to point fingers, but I just know that if you've sinned, if you've been off in one of those areas, I know there's mercy in Christ. And if you've been treating people poorly based on their age or their race or their intelligence or their clothes, or you need mercy for that. You need to repent. If you've not been treating people well, maybe you've been treating everyone the same and it's bad. You need to repent. And if you have a faith that's not active. God calls us to be participants in his kingdom. People that participate, people that are active. You need to repent and get that right. If any of those things has, has touched you today and you realized that you've looked into the law, you've looked into the word, you've realized an area where you need forgiveness would you put your hand up right where you're at just say you know what I realize amen as the music plays and with everyone just quiet sitting there would you just talk to God about that 
whatever caused you to raise your hand, would you just say, God, forgive me for this. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I want to be different. But I can't do it alone. Would you just pray a prayer like that to him right now? God, probably all of us need to raise our hand for something. So forgive us what we failed. Forgive us what we've done wrong. Or forgive us where we've not done the good that you want us to do. But thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you that you can hear a simple prayer and you're so quick to forgive. You sent your son Christ who died show us how much you wanted to forgive Lord and then you raised him up from that grave you got him out of that tomb to show us that you're strong enough to save so we thank you that you're strong enough to save us to forgive us and to change us Lord we bless your name thank you Lord in Jesus name Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>